In this modern world, we certainly have a lot of modern conveniences. It's really incredible when you stop to think about it. And we take for granted so many of the modern conveniences that we enjoy. In our homes, for instance, you can just go to a wall and set a dial or even punch in a a number. And when the house gets too cool, it will warm itself back up. When it gets too hot, it will cool itself back down. Pretty amazing, right? We just take that for granted. We, we, we don't even think about that. Generations before us would have had to work really hard to stay warm in cold weather. Of course, and they didn't have any option for staying cool in hot weather. We just take that thing for granted. And if it doesn't work on, without, without, seamlessly without, if it doesn't work, we make an emergency call to Yancey and say, get over here fast, man. I gotta have some relief. We just take those kind of conveniences for granted. I've told you before, but one of the things, surely, that we take for granted is flushing toilets. I don't know about you, but I'm really grateful for a flush toilet, indoor, indoor plumbing. Some of our older folks here, I know, can remember when they didn't have that, and you had to go to the outhouse. And on a cold morning, cold rainy morning like today, not so convenient at all. But we, we have that, and we just absolutely take it for granted. I want you to especially concentrate on the idea of running water. You have water at your beck and call. Turn the tap, out it comes. Hot and cold, running water. Here it comes. The water comes. Where does it come from? How did it get here? I don't know. It's just there. I turn the tap on and it comes on. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to worry about it. We have good, clean, sanitary water just at our beck and call. But that also is a new thing. Uh, we take it for granted, don't even give any thought to the idea of running water anymore. But that has not always been so. Just a, a generation ago, they would not have had that. And all throughout human history, before just the last century, people did not have running water. And so they had to work at it. Instead of just turning a tap and having water when you wanted it, they had to make special effort to have their water. They'd have to dig a well to have water. Or another thing that they would do is that they would make a cistern. I'm convinced that probably some of your young people uh, don't even know what we mean by a cistern. Maybe never have heard of such a thing. But a cistern was sort of like a well, but different. A well had water of its own. From a deep source, the well would fill up with water. A cistern, on the other hand, was a, a hole in the ground that you'd often line with bricks or rocks and mortar them in. And the cistern would catch runoff water. The cistern was to hold water when it rained. When there was an excess of water, you would catch it in the cistern so that you could draw it out later to use my old hundred-year-old house in Mount Pleasant still has a cistern in the backyard. doesn't hold water too good anymore, but it was there. And it was there for that reason, because when my house was originally made and lots of old houses in this area, they wouldn't have had running water initially. And so you'd have to think, how am I going to have water? How will I have water? Uh, I'll make a cistern. And when it rains, I'll catch the water that runs off the roof and it'll go into the cistern and I can use it later. That was the whole idea of a cistern this morning. We want to make reference to a cistern. And we'll be looking at the book of Jeremiah uh, when he talked about a cistern. We'll look at that in just a minute. But before we get to that, let me stop here to 
thank you for being here on this rainy day. This is the kind of day that you could have used to fill up your cistern. Uh, all the rain that we've had recently, sure, surely if you had a cistern, it would be full now because we've had plenty of rain and it's raining again today. You all have braved the elements to be here on this Sunday morning and we appreciate you very much. Thanks for coming. Thanks to those who are visiting with us today. Come again when you can. Ask any questions you have. We'd be glad to study with you or help you in any way that you need. Think about a cistern for a minute. Jeremiah spoke of broken cisterns. He says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no Jeremiah was prophesying in the final days of Judah before God was going to send a terrible judgment on them. And we know that he did. Not long after Jeremiah made these prophecies, the, the Babylonians carried them away into captivity and tore down their city. Jerusalem was completely destroyed in that judgment that God sent. Leading up to that judgment that God sent, Jeremiah said, they have forsaken me. I am the fountain of living waters. I, I, I am the one who could truly bless them. And instead of receiving the blessings from me, they have gone a different route. They have sought what they needed from other sources. They have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Rather than turning to God for true blessings, they had sought to get what they needed in other ways. And so their cisterns were broken. Their cisterns would hold no water. So what was really going on in Judah? Well, one of the problems they had is that they just absolutely refused to listen to the Word of God. The real text that we want to use for our study this morning is in Jeremiah chapter 6. And you may want to turn there. Uh, that, that quote in chapter 2 about the broken cistern leads to Jeremiah going on to describe the deplorable conditions of the people of God in Judah. And, it, and we want to make some ob- observations from the text that Stephen read earlier from chapter 6 beginning at verse 10. And one of the very clear problems they had was their ear, he said, is uncircumcised. Newer versions will simply say their ear Their ears are closed. And he says they cannot hearken. Hearken obviously means hear. And so they have closed their ears so they cannot hear. Uh, The reason for it was the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. So they just didn't want to hear. It wasn't that it wasn't available to them. It wasn't that the message wasn't accessible to them. It was not that they couldn't understand what God wanted them to do. But they'd closed their ears. They refused to hear. They just didn't take any pleasure. Uh, it was it was awful. Don't don't talk to us about the word of God. It's a reproach to us. They had no delight in it. Can you can you see a parallel uh, to us today? And I think that's what we really want to do when we read a text like this. It's one thing to talk about the historical conditions so long ago in Judah. This would have been twenty five, twenty six hundred years ago. It's interesting to talk about the history of things that happened so long ago, but the real thing is to apply it to ourselves. Can you parallel to us today? Certainly in the society that we live in, there's an effort to remove the Bible, remove God's Word from all aspects of life. It started out several decades ago. You remember when they took prayer out of the public schools? 
Now, any reference to anything religious uh, is being contested in all public places. It's a really destructive process. It will not bode well for us, for our nation, for us as a people. When we refuse to hear the Word of God, when we try to rid God's Word out of our lives completely, we're heading down a wrong path. Jesus repeated almost the same words in Matthew verse 15. This people's heart is waxed close. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. So get this. Now, Jeremiah was prophesying about 600 years before Christ. It was a problem. People won't listen to what God says. They won't listen to the Word of God. 600 years later, when Jesus was alive, he repeated that same statement and applied it to the people of his time. It was a problem in his time. I believe it's still a problem, right? You you, you get the idea that this is an ongoing problem. People refuse to hear the word of God. Peter predicted in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning verse 3, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust. We surely live in such a time as that when people mock the very Word of God and do their own thing. This led to Judas. Uh, I, I think if you wanted to really just summarize it in a nutshell they, just, nutshell, they just quit listening to God. And that led to their ultimate fall. It will for us as well. I want to suggest to you that our text says they also became obsessed with material things. Go back to that. I'm going to keep referring to that text in Jeremiah chapter 6. Notice he says, For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. Everyone, everyone, it says, is given to covetousness. It's interesting that he says, Everyone, from the least to the greatest, everyone is given to covetousness. It wasn't just that the rich folks... We're all worried about their money and their things that they had. It wasn't just a problem of the rich. It was even a problem of the poor. From the least to the greatest, everyone is given to covetousness. And that just reminds us that you could be penniless and still have the problem of covetousness, still have the problem of craving and desiring the things of this world. Uh, Don't think that covetousness is something that just pertains to the very rich. It can happen to us all. I want to remind you of a statement that Jesus made in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, when he said, Take heed and beware of covetousness. A a very pertinent warning that Jesus gave. Beware of covetousness. But I want you to realize that Jesus made that warning to people who were not nearly as prosperous as we are. To people who weren't nearly as prosperous as we are, Jesus said, Take heed. And beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Get that. If it was ever a warning needed, if they needed it then, we surely need it now in the prosperous times in which we live. Then he went on in the next six verses. Jesus told that very familiar parable of a rich man. Keep reading. He spake a parable to them. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take drink. But God said to him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? And he concludes with the application. 
so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This parable just is one of the one of the ones I think one of the easiest to picture in your mind of all that Jesus all of his parables parables were so powerful teaching the point that they were to teach but some of them just sort of jump off the page in a very visible you can see it in your mind can't you and you can this one and the application is just straightforward and direct you'd be like that foolish rich farmer if you made the emphasis of your life laying up treasure here not being rich toward God. We need to see that as a great danger. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Can we be wise enough to realize that? Everything about this material life is going to pass. It's temporal. It's temporary. It's not going to last. It will not endure. Can we be wise enough to see past money and things and seek the things that really matter, the things of God? Judah's demise, as Jeremiah documented it, was certainly due to the fact that they had become possessed with material things. But we know also that they had deceived themselves into believing falsehoods. Our text in Jeremiah chapter 6 again, he says... Uh, Notice, he says, From the prophet even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. They have healed the hurt of the people, my daughter slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. The religious leaders in that day were not calling the people back to living righteous lives. What the religious leaders should have been doing was what Jeremiah himself was trying to do. Jeremiah was trying to point out to them, man, we got these problems. We got to address these problems. We got to get back to serving God faithfully. That's what Jeremiah was trying to do, but he was a voice alone nearly. The religious leaders, notice he says, the prophet unto the priest, everyone deals falsely. And what they were actually doing was, notice, they healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. The idea was that they were trying to convince the people, hey, everything's okay. You're okay. There's no problem. God loves you. God loves you. God's a loving God. He would never, he couldn't even bring himself to punish you. If, if he wanted to, he couldn't do it. He's just such a loving God. Everything is fine. No problems. No worry. Peace, peace was their message. Jeremiah says there's no real peace. They were wrong about that. The Lord was just about ready to send a horrible judgment upon them. There was no peace, but their religious leaders were telling them that there was. Man, I got to tell you, that sure fits today too, doesn't it? If you want to see a parallel to our situation today, this is very common. The, 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 the very popular preachers in our world are of that sort. Uh, a guy like Joel Olstein, you know, you watch him on, on any of the videos that are out there of the services that he conducts and the messages that he's preaching. It's all peace, peace, right? Everything's wonderful. God loves you. It's all good. There's certainly no serious rebuke of sin. No urging repentance and righteous living. It's all a pleasant message to be heard. A feel-good kind of preaching. That's common in the world. I want to tell you, I'm concerned that even among our own brethren, even among churches of Christ, we see this emphasis on 
positive things. Now, certainly the Bible has lots of positive messages. There's nothing wrong with preaching positive messages from the Word of God. God does love us. But we have to deal with the negatives, too, that when we fail Him, He warns of punishment and judgment to come. We cannot just be all positive. And we can't neglect the negatives that have to be taught. We can't be like those religious leaders in the time of Jeremiah who were saying, peace, peace, when there was no real peace. Paul, Paul's warning at the end of his life sounds very similar, doesn't it, to what Jeremiah was saying. And it's certainly applicable in our day. Preach the word, be instant, in season, season. Prove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. It sounds sort of like what's happening today, doesn't it? People don't want to hear anything negative. Only positive, pleasant, feel-good kinds of messages. That's what people want to hear. And, and a steady diet of that is a ruination. It ruined Judah. And it will ruin us as well. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul warns of those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. What's going to happen? They're going to perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. That's really straightforward, isn't it? That's easy enough to understand. A big contributing factor to the fall of Judah was that they deceived themselves into believing falsehood. It can happen to us. We, We need to be aware of that. Let me suggest also that they were not ashamed and they could not blush. This maybe is the most remembered phrase in this broader text. Notice he says, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. You've heard that plenty of times, haven't you? And that's that's a familiar part of this text. I'm sure we can connect that with situations that exist today in the world and even among our own number. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when it says they were ashamed, they could not blush? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, I don't know about you, but the first thing that comes to my mind is questions about modesty, right? They couldn't blush. You you see some of the immodest dress that's prevalent in the world today. It's shocking that people could dress and display themselves in that such in such a way and not be ashamed, not even blush uh, when they're displaying their naked bodies in such fashion. There's no shame; they can't even blush. I, 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 if you're like me, probably the first thing that comes to mind when you think of that is is questions about modesty. But I want to tell you, I don't think Jeremiah was talking about modesty here. I don't think that was the main emphasis of his thought. Maybe not at all. He didn't have in mind modesty when he made that famous statement. He was talking about abominations. He says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not ashamed. Neither could they blush. Abomination, that's an interesting word and worthy of study. If you ever have some time and you just want to take a word apart and study it. The word abomination there conveys the idea of something that gives off a horrible, putrid smell. And all of us have had occasion, thankfully it's a limited experience, we we try to avoid it, don't we? But you've been around something that just stinks so badly it 
almost makes you instantly sick to your stomach. Uh, I mean, you, you can just imagine. I won't, I won't even go into any more detail than that because you you have experienced this. Just something, a horrible, wretched smell that just makes you sick. That's the idea of abomination. A thing that's an abomination to God is something like that that's so putrid and, and it just makes him sick. And so that's, that's a word to be understood, not to be taken lightly. Well, when you think of some of the abominations of the people back in those times, one of the abominations that comes quickly to mind is the abomination of idol worship. That was an abomination to God. And we've talked before about the horrible idolatrous practices of the people of that day. And in particular, there was this idol god Molech, and they actually offered their living babies as human sacrifices to Molech. And the Word of God says that was a horrible abomination to God. Oh, as you can easily imagine, that would be right. Terrible thing. But yeah, I got to tell you, although I honestly think if you connect our modern-day practice of abortion to the idol worship of Molech, what we're doing today makes the idol worship of Molech look like a picnic in the park, really. When you think about the millions of babies that are being sacrificed constantly in abortion, it's horrible. But I want you to think about abomination. Things that are abominable to God are not just limited to horrible atrocities like sacrificing babies or aborting babies. I want to take you to a familiar text in Proverbs chapter 6, beginning verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. So it's not just sacrificing babies. That's abominable to God. But a lying tongue, a lying tongue is abominable to God. It's a, it's a wretched stench in his nostrils that enough to make you sick. He that soweth discord among brethren, an abomination to God. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a putrid smell in the nostrils of God when we do things that cause discord among brethren. And so when you think about this, when you think about the people in the days of Jeremiah as Jews about to be carried away in captivity, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not ashamed. They didn't blush, even in the horrible things that they were doing. Paul says in Philippians 3, beginning verse 18, For many of whom I have often said that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Notice this expression, whose glory is their shame. A newer translation says they are proud of what they ought to be ashamed of. I really think that fits our day, and I'm afraid sometimes it fits us too well. We're proud of what we should be ashamed of. And so, in the case of Judah, in the days of Jeremiah, part of their ruination, part of the broken cisterns that they were trying to live by was that they were ashamed and could not blush We need to be careful that that does not describe us. Finally, let me say 
that they rejected the only possible solution. Uh, In Jeremiah 6 again, here's this text that we've been getting all these points from. Notice, thus says the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, where is the good way and walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls. So right there's a solution, right? Here's your solution. Uh, Judah, you're in a horrible mess. And God has determined punishment, judgment. Bad things are about to happen because you've rejected God. But there's a solution to your problem. The solution is stand in the ways, see and ask for the old paths. Where's the good way? Walk there and you shall find rest for your souls. Come back to God. Live right. Do right. Notice their answer. But they said, we will not walk therein. They were called to repentance and they said, no, we will not. I don't know about you, but that, uh, that again seems an awful fitting parallel to our world today and maybe even to us today when we know that we need to come back to God, when we, need, when we know we need to do right, and yet we refuse. We will not walk therein. That does not describe us. Real quickly, think about the parable of the prodigal son. You know this parable so well. This is another one of those parables that just sort of jumps off the page. You can see this in your mind's eye, can't you? We don't have space on this chart or time in our lesson this morning to to talk about the whole parable of the prodigal son. But I just want you to remember one part of that. When he, the prodigal, had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave him to, gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, and then he made up his mind that he would go back to his father. He came to himself. Oh, I see it. I realize it. I recognize it. I know what I need to do. When the prodigal came to himself, he did the right thing. Will we come to ourselves as a nation, as a people, as a culture? Will we come to ourselves as God's people when we've failed to do His will? Here, this whole message from Jeremiah was addressed to the people of God, the nation of Judah. Uh, to make do with broken cisterns, and it would not work. They refused to listen. They were obsessed with the material world. They allowed themselves to be deceived by their false teachers. Not ashamed, couldn't blush. And when they were called back to do God's will, they said simply, we will not. Again, I hope you see uh, that terrible description potentially fits our world and us too much. And we need to learn a lesson. Don't be trying to be satisfied with broken cisterns. Thanks for listening this morning. We hope that all of us will be encouraged to think seriously about the things of God and doing His will in our lives. Are you a Christian yet? Have you obeyed that simple plan of salvation laid forth in the New Testament? Hearing the truth, will you believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, and be baptized for the remission of sins? If you've not done that yet, you understand what you need to do. We urge you to make that decision, the most important decision of life. We'd be anxious to assist you in your obedience. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been living faithfully, will you be called back by the Word of God? Called back to the old path? Will you do the will of God in your life anew? Will you repent?
if we can help you, if you need to confess faults, if you need the prayers of the saints, we'd be glad to help you in that. If we can be of any assistance, let us know while we stand and sing this song. <laughs>